This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, September 16th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Doug Blair. As the debate rages in Congress over spending packages and election integrity bills, Senate confirmations for President Biden's cabinet appointees continue to move forward in the background. Tom Jones, co-founder of the nonpartisan educational organization, American Accountability Foundation, joins the show to explain how his group shines a light on some of the president's most problematic nominees. Don't forget, if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. And now, on to today's top news. On Wednesday, President Biden said he has great confidence in General Mark Milley to continue as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in spite of allegations that Milley was secretly in contact with Chinese defense officials at the tail end of the Trump administration. An upcoming book co-authored by two Washington Post reporters alleges that Milley made two secret phone calls to his Chinese counterpart, General Li Xiaosheng, in an attempt to stave off potential U.S. military attacks. The first call occurred on October 30th, 2020, and the second occurred on January 8th, 2021. Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki at a Wednesday press conference via The Washington Post. Uh, But what I can assure you all of is that the president knows General Milley. He has been chairman of the Joint Chiefs for almost eight months of his presidency. They've worked side by side through a range of international events. Uh, And the president has complete confidence in his leadership, his patriotism, and his fidelity to our Constitution. A Milley spokesman, Colonel Dave Butler, added, The chairman of the Joint Chiefs regularly communicates with chiefs of defense across the world, including with China and Russia. These conversations remain vital to improving mutual understanding of U.S. national security interests, reducing tensions, providing clarity, and avoiding unintended consequences or conflict. Milley is testifying before the Senate Armed Services Committee on September 28th and is expected to answer questions relating to the allegations. President Trump referred to Milley's role in the Afghanistan withdrawal in a statement calling him the same failed leader who engineered the worst withdrawal from a country, Afghanistan, in U.S. history, leaving behind many dead and wounded soldiers, many American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the newest and most sophisticated military equipment in the world. The former president added that if the story was true, then I assume he would be tried for treason in that he would have been dealing with his Chinese counterpart behind the president's back, in telling China that he would be giving them notification of an attack. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, wrote in a letter to Biden, General Milley has attempted to rationalize his reckless behavior by arguing that what he perceived as the military's judgment as more stable than its civilian commander. It is a dangerous precedent that could be asserted at any point in the future by General Milley or others. It threatens to tear apart our nation's long-standing principle of civilian control of the military. You must immediately dismiss General Milley. America's national security and ability to lead in the world are at stake. Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, called for an investigation into Milley during an interview with Fox News. It should be investigated immediately today. He should be questioned under oath, if not with a polygraph test, whether it happened. If it happened, he should be immediately relieved of his duties and court-martialed. Republican governors accused the Biden administration of playing politics with the COVID-19 pandemic after the White House announced it would restrict the distribution of monoclonal antibody treatments, a known and effective treatment in fighting COVID-19 infections. 
According to the FDA, monoclonal antibodies are laboratory-made proteins that mimic the immune system's ability to fight off harmful pathogens such as viruses. On Tuesday, President Biden announced that due to a substantial surge in the use of monoclonal antibodies, the federal government is facing a shortage of the drug, per the Washington Examiner. As a result, the Department of Health and Human Services will now control how much of the treatment each state gets. In a Tuesday statement, Governor Larry Hogan, Republican from Maryland, said, Today I press President Biden's team to explain the sudden rationing of these life-saving treatments without any warning after the administration urged us to promote them. It is yet another example of confusing and conflicting guidance coming from the federal government. In addition to GOP governors, congressional Republicans expressed their frustrations with the new orders from the Biden administration. Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, tweeted, Monoclonal antibodies are an effective, life-saving treatment, but Biden's HHS is suddenly stepping in to review and ration doctor's orders, hindering their ability to care for their patients. We want answers. On Wednesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee conducted a hearing on the FBI's handling of allegations against USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nassar. A July report by the Inspector General at the Justice Department identified multiple failures and policy violations by the Indianapolis FBI field office in connection with its handling of the Nassar allegations. Nasser was ultimately convicted of sexually abusing gymnasts and will spend the remainder of his life in jail. Here's what FBI Director Christopher Wray had to say via ABC News. Uh, I want to be crystal clear. The actions and inaction of the FBI employees detailed in this report are totally unacceptable. These individuals betrayed the core duty that they have of uh, of protecting people. They failed to protect young women and girls from abuse. And the work we do certainly is often complicated and uncertain, uh, and we're never going to be perfect. But the kinds of fundamental errors that were made in this case in 2015 and 16 should never have happened, period. Here's part of what Olympic gymnast Simone Biles said via C-SPAN. I sit before you today to raise my voice so that no little girl must endure what I, the athletes at this table, and the countless others who needlessly suffered under Nasser's guise of medical treatment, which we continue to endure today. We suffered and continue to suffer because no one at FBI, USAG, or the USOPC did what was necessary to protect us. We have been failed, and we deserve answers. Nasser is where he belongs, but those who enabled him deserve to be held accountable. If they are not, I am convinced that this will continue to happen to others across Olympic sports. Olympic gymnast Michaela Maroney also testified via MSNBC. Let's be honest. By not taking immediate action from my report, they allowed a child molester to go free for more than a year. And this inaction directly allowed Nassar's abuse to continue. What is the point of reporting abuse if our own FBI agents are going to take it upon themselves to bury that report in a drawer? They had legal, legitimate evidence of child abuse and did nothing. If they're not going to protect me, I want to know who are they trying to protect? 
What's even more upsetting to me is that we now we know that these FBI agents have committed an obvious crime. They falsified my statement and that is illegal in itself. Yet no recourse has been taken against them. The Department of Justice refused to prosecute these individuals. Why? Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco couldn't even bring herself to be here today. And it is the Department of Justice's job to hold them accountable. I am tired of waiting for people to do the right thing because my abuse was enough and we deserve justice. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Tom Jones as we talk about Biden's problematic Senate nominees. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is Tom Jones, co-founder of American Accountability Foundation, a nonpartisan educational organization that conducts research into government oversight as well as fact-checking to hold government accountable. Welcome to the Daily Signal podcast, Tom. Hey, thanks for having me on. Excellent. So let's start with a little bit about your organization and President Biden's nominees. So you are closely monitoring the president's nominees for his cabinet, uh, and you've set up a whole website called bidennoms.com that highlights some of the problems with the nominees. One of those nominees is uh, Tracy Stone Manning, which is the nominee to lead the Bureau of Land Management, and she's pretty radical. So why don't we start there? What can you tell us about her and why she's so radical? Sure. There's a couple couple problems with Tracy Stone Manning. We'll kind of put them in two buckets. There's first the, the problem with her radical leftist agenda, and this is some of the issues that we've seen filter up with her affiliation with Earth First and, and other leftist groups like that. So we can talk about those a little bit. And then there's kind of a different bucket of personal improprieties, particularly pertaining to some, some loans that she's taken. I think they're really worth exploring as well because they're a little bit unique. Um, so happy to talk about either of those. Which ones do you want to go into first? I think we should definitely start with Earth First. So sure. for those listeners who don't know what that is, what is Earth First? Sure. So Earth First is the most radical of the leftist environmentalist groups. These guys make the National Resources Defense Council look like, uh, you know, the Petroleum Institute. These are guys who what they do is what they call monkey wrenching. And these are guys who go in, destroy private property, literally pouring sand into the gas tanks of bulldozers. And one of their most egregious behaviors was this thing called tree spiking. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is they take the, the railroad spikes and they drive them into timber on, on lands that are being logged. And you're kind of like, well, that's weird. Why would they do that? So what, it, what happens is it creates this situation where if you want to go out and log and you take a chainsaw into one of these trees, you end up catching this spike. And it's, it's really pretty grisly because what happens is the chain on the chainsaw breaks and it can be really, really deadly. So what they'll do is they go spike trees and then they tell folks and it, you know, you'd have to go pull the spikes out. It'd be really problematic. But it was their way of, of taking forests offline. But you never know if you've got all of them. So you could be out there just cutting down a tree and you catch this spike um, and it, it could really maim a, a logger. It's a really 
irresponsible and dangerous practice. So she was involved with that group and part of their tree spiking activities. Oh, wow. Okay. So she was part of this. I mean, it's an eco-terrorist group. It exactly. sounds like what you're, was, what you're yeah. saying. But you've also described that she's maybe had a little bit of impropriety in her past. So can you maybe expand a little bit further on that? Sure. So a little bit of background. I'm a former Senate staffer. I worked in the Senate for uh, 12 years and worked in a number of positions. And I, in 2008, Tracy Stone Manning and I were both working in the U.S. Senate. She was working in Senator Tester's state office as a, as a state rep, but but a, a Senate employee. And, and I give that background because it's important because when I was a Senate staffer, all Senate staff were taking very extensive training on the gift and ethics rules in the Senate. They were a really big deal. We come out of this Abramoff era with a lot of really, really problematic things going on with influence peddling, and we, we had adopted a really aggressive um, – policy on gifts. So we got training on it. I sat through it. I mean, look, it was it was long training. They they were very clear. Everybody from, you know, the staff assistant answering the phones on social security payments to the senators. We were mm-hmm. all taking these trains. They were very serious and we were given very clear instructions on, on what we could take on gifts. Where it becomes a problem for her is her and her husband had a business back in, in 2008 and the economy went sideways. Like a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of Americans went, went had to go bankrupt, and that's it was terrible. There was a lot of irresponsible things going on in the in the mortgage lending industry. His business fell on hard times. Now, what happened? What happened for most Americans is they would have to file bankruptcy. It's mm-hmm. terrible. It ruins your credit. Um, you got to really go into rebuilding it, and there's a lot of long term consequences. Well, that's not what happened for them. Tracy Stone Manning, she has an influential developer friend. He comes in over the top and says, "Hey." You know what? I'm going to give you a hundred thousand dollar loan for this business. I mean, I got a lot of great friends. They're not giving me hundred thousand dollar loans. Um, but even if you do have friends giving you hundred thousand dollar loans, where that becomes a problem is if you work in the U.S. Senate, anything over fifty dollars, you can't take that as a gift. And this is lunches. This is you know presents for for whatever. And you're not allowed to take gifts. It's a it's a bright bright line clear prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the language in the in the gift rule includes loans in that. So it says you cannot take a loan unless it's at market rate. So if I wanted to take a $100,000 loan, I've got to go down to, you know, Bank of America and say, hey, I need to borrow a loan for my failing business for $100,000 so we can stay afloat. You're never going to get that loan. And what happened is she had this friend that came in and gave her the $100,000 loan. They paid off $40,000 of it and converted it to a $60,000 loan. And then it become, becomes even more problematic. So she's mm-hmm. got this $60,000 loan. She goes on, leaves tester staff, goes and serves at the Department of Environmental Quality in Montana, eventually becomes Governor Bullock's uh, chief of staff, so serving government. Why we never find out about it is Montana's unique. They're one of the few states in the country that don't require senior officials in the government to file a financial disclosure form. So we never find out about this. So she gets nominated for this BLM position, and she has to disclose she's got a $60,000 outstanding loan. We're like, what's going on here? We don't know what this is. So questions go back and forth, and we finally find out from the Senate. She had the $60,000 loan. All that she was making for payments was annual interest, about $360 per year on this loan, never paying down any of the principal. Mm -hmm. Now, look, I couldn't get a loan like that. Nobody's going to give me a, a... interest-only personal loan unsecured right after my business went bankrupt. Like, it, it's nutty. Yeah. Um, so what we – I think what, what's clear happened here is she had never had any intent to repay this loan. Mm-hmm. Her 
this guy, Stuart Goldberg, who's a big developer in Montana, had just waved it off. He's like, whatever, I don't care about this. This guy's worth a ton of money. Um, he's like, I don't care about it. She got into this process and suddenly discovered, oh, wait a minute, I got to disclose this thing. Um, and it's created all these problems because I think there's a number of issues in addition to this that she hasn't really resolved yet. I think that she never disclosed the loans to her lenders when she borrowed money for houses that she's bought in the interim years. That is a federal crime. Sure. I've pulled all the records on her on her deeds in Montana. They're all federally insured loans. So unless she disclosed this information to the to the banks, and I don't think she did, she's she's committed mortgage fraud. That's a serious problem. She hasn't answered that. She says, Oh, well, you know, I don't have those records anymore. Look, I bought my house in 2007. I can go pull every record on the application I have. It's sitting in my email and it's sitting in the stack in my closet with paperwork. The idea that she somehow can't find the applications for the three mortgages that she's applied for in the interim years is just just not realistic. Um, so that's deeply problematic. She's probably committed mortgage fraud. She took an unacceptable gift while a Senate staff or something. Look, I couldn't even take a lunch from my buddy over at, at the Monocle, much less a $100,000 loan. And what's really telling is she admits, I never asked the Ethics Committee about this. There's a reason she never asked the right. Ethics Committee about this. Because they just would have said no. This sure. is impermissible. Now, given now, given that she has this eco-terrorism in her background with Earth First, and she has this uh, loan that we can't explain in the gifts, uh, how did she get this far in the process? Yeah, and I, you know, I think a couple things going on. We've been vetting a lot of people because Senate staffs overworked. They've got a really high tempo. So part of the mission of my organization is to fill that space in vetting. So we've we've been looking at a lot of people. And unfortunately, I think there's there's either one of two things that's happening in the Biden administration. Either they don't care about vetting and they're just going to kind of ignore it, or they do the vetting and they're so confident that they can just push these candidates through that they send up people who are who are deeply flawed. So, And I'll give you kind of a couple examples. Um, so Kristen Clark, mm-hmm. we started looking at her. She's, the, she's now the assistant attorney general for civil rights at the Department of Justice. We started looking at her a couple months ago and – I started doing background research on her, and she's divorced. So it's mm-hmm. kind of the traditional part of when you do a background investigation, whether it's for security clearance or at, at the presidential personnel office, you call up ex-spouses because they may have something to, to provide. They may just be angry and annoyed, which is entirely possible, but you call them up and you, you do, do the due diligence. So I found Reginald Avery, her ex-husband, talked to him, and I was like, hey, um, these concerns you've just relayed to me, did you share them with the FBI when they came by? He said, what are you talking about? I never talked to the FBI. So, you know, after talking to some folks on the Hill, they're like, yeah, the FBI said they couldn't find her. And, I mean, look, I'm good at my job, but this wasn't like, you know, some super sleuthing here. Like, the guy had a LinkedIn profile. So they just didn't care about it when they did her. Same thing with this guy at ATF, Dave Chipman. This guy's a former federal employee. They know where his records are. He worked for the U.S. government for 22 years. Like, they just just need to go, hey, send me Dave's file. Um, we asked for the complaints against Dave Chipman, and we sent over a Freedom Information Act request for them. Said, I want to see the complaints in his personnel record because those disciplinary records can be disclosed in a FOIA. Their response back was, we don't know where they are. We think they might be in St. Louis at the National Personnel Records Center, but we're not really sure. Which leads me to believe that they didn't bother with the vetting because if, if they did vet him, they'd be sitting in ATF because they would have looked over these things. Um, and I think that's what's what's happened here with Tracy Stone Manning. They surely knew about the eco-terrorism stuff because this came up in 2013 when she was 
confirmed for the director of environmental quality in, in Montana and chief. It's, it's been out there. It really, it wasn't probed as deeply as, um, as it's being probed now. And, you know, I really need to brag on the, the energy and natural resources committee, the, the oversight that that committee is doing both at the staff level and at the member level is unusual and, and very impressive. They've really gone out and dug into her past to really give the American people a full picture of who she is because the Biden administration isn't going to do it, and they didn't do it, but the, the Energy and Natural Resources Committee really is. But I think she's indicative of this pattern in the Biden administration of, of where they're just not bothering and they're just pushing through. And look, I mean, it's working most of the time. The Biden administration has only had to pull down really two candidates. Um, mm-hmm. So they probably figured out that this works. They can just ram things through. Maybe that'll work with Tracy Stone Manning. Maybe it won't. Well, and in terms of an update as to where we are with this, as, as recently as the recording of this episode, uh, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee divided along party mm-hmm. lines, uh, voted her out of committee. They gave her a, a pass on that one. So it looks like she is going to go up for a confirmation vote. Uh, despite the baggage, it does appear that Senate Democrats are comfortable with doing yeah. this, as you've described. What is the consequences if, you know, she gets confirmed. What happens if she is able to take a position in the cabinet? Well, yeah. So th- I think her past behavior is going to inform how she's going to behave in the future. This is somebody who just didn't take these things, these ethics rules seriously. Um, and BLM has some seriously important decision-making roles on how public lands can be used by commercial recreational conservation interests. This is somebody who took $100,000 from a developer, never disclosed it to anybody. She's not somebody who's going to be driving between the lines and and calling balls and strikes on the rules as they're written um, because she clearly doesn't have a respect for them because she knew she couldn't take this loan, but she took it anyway. So I think that's – I mean, look, that should be the reason that senators should not vote for her, vote against her. But unfortunately, I think they're going to push her through. And I just don't think you can trust somebody who has a a pattern of unethical behavior – to lead an agency that's so involved in so high profile, high consequence decision making, like, you know, can we do mineral extraction on land, oil and gas? Should we be locking this up for conservation? Should we have public easements here? All of those decisions are weighty and 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 very consequential financially. Um, but she's just not played by the rules in the past. And I don't think she's going to do it in the future. Yeah, I think that that's a good point to know that We've seen what she is capable of already. You know, why would we be shocked if there was this behavior in the future? On a, on a slightly different topic, I'm, I'm surprised that Senate Democrats seem to have no issues with, with advancing this type of nominee. Are you surprised? And then a follow-up question to that be, what should Senate Republicans do? What advice would you give them as they're navigating this scenario? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, this is, you know, the... The Democrats seem to be much more disciplined than the Republicans, and they've been very good about this. So um, I think what Republicans need to do, I think Republican leadership in the Senate, what they really need to do is they need to start holding their members together. The thing I learned when I worked in the Senate was it's a body that works on collegiality and unanimous consent. And if you blow up the process and if you use procedural tools to frustrate things, you can actually have positive outcomes. 
what our leadership needs to be doing is holding all our guys together and making sure the vice president is camping out off the floor, having to cast tie-breaking votes on this. It sounds like it's a ticky-tacky thing, but it's really not. It really blows up the process. It complicates it. It makes it much harder for them to move nominees through. If they know every time they, they get somebody that's even close to a flawed nominee that they're going to have to pull the vice president out of you know Guatemala or wherever she is this week and make her come sit on the Senate floor and vote, it, it'll really kind of – chasing them on on casting these type of votes and pushing these nominees through. So, you know, I, I really hope that that Leader McConnell holds our guys together and says, look, this is going to be 50-50 every day on these knobs because you're putting radicals up here who are just unacceptable. So basically you're going to – you encourage them to hold sort of the feet to the fire exactly. and make sure that these people are, are put up in front of the American people. One of the things I would like to talk about in addition to um, your work with – the Biden nominations project where you're basically looking at all of Biden nominees is you have something called the Congressional Pork Map, yeah, porkmap.com. which is <laughs> which, which, great name, by the way. I love it. Um, it's got little pigs on it, which I think is just so great. It basically highlights wasteful government yeah. spending, right? So what is the most important thing for our listeners to know about government waste? And then what are some of the most egregious examples, in your opinion, of government waste that we've seen? Yeah, I, th- I think the most important – one of the most important things for them to know about earmarks is that – they're not the members of Congress calling balls and strikes on the best things in their district. I mean, even if they were, that's not what the federal legislature should be doing. But I think what what your listeners need to really understand is these offices that are making these decisions on these million-dollar, $5 million, $10 million projects, they're usually staffed. The average age of the staffer is 27 years old. On these transportation pro- – none of them have background in transportation. What they do have background in – is meeting with lobbyists for special interests in their in their district, and that's how these things get up to the top of the stack. It's not because this is the most important road in you know Paducah, Kentucky. It's because this lobbyist knows the 26 year old staffer who's assigned to do appropriations earmarks, and they get it to the top of their stack. Or a wealthy donor in the district knows the congressman is like, hey, you know, I really need you to help me out on these things, um, and they get it to the top of the stack. So it's. I think your listeners really need to be disabused of the notion that there's some kind of merit process in this. It's a bunch of young staffers and then lobbyists and wealthy donors making decisions about what gets requested. Now, what ends up happening is you get these ridiculous, wasteful projects. We've got, you know, I give a couple examples, but, you know, we've got thousands of them on Pork Map. You've got things like a sheep research institute in Idaho. It's just nuts. Like, we don't need to, like, we know enough about sheep. We've got a cranberry research station up in Wisconsin. Like, look, I love ocean spray. I, I like cranberry cocktail. It's great. That company does not need $600,000 to research cranberries. Um, you know, One that really steams me is the sugar industry is getting $10 million in Louisiana. Look, this sugar, the sugar industry is one of the worst crony capitalist offenders in the federal. The, you know, they're getting subsidies on imports. Um, you know, they're getting special advantages on land use. They're one of the most well-heeled lobbying organizations in the country. They're selling a lot of sugar. They don't need $10 million from the federal government in a Republican district in Louisiana to research sugar. We, again, we got a pretty good understanding of, of how sugar works. You put in a candy bar, it makes you fat. Like, it's not, it's, it's not rocket science here. So why are these really – I mean, they're kind of goofy and and, and you know, we snicker about them. What becomes problematic is that each one of those has a congressman associated with them. And some of these congressmen might make the right decision on these bloated spending bills, 
But now they've been bought off with some earmark for a, an important constituency in their state. They might vote against a, a minibus or an omnibus spending bill, but now they can't because if they vote against it, they know, everybody knows, that they're going to lose their earmark in the conference committee when the when the bills get worked out between the House and Senate. So they're stuck voting for these terrible bills. And look, this is not me like seeing, you know, you know, black helicopters and crazy conspiracy theories. This is the reason these things exist. The the Democrats have said we need to bring back earmarks because it helps us pass bills. That's exactly why we need to get rid of earmarks because it helps us pass bad bills. Right. So given what we've talked about today, which is President Biden's personnel, and we've talked a little bit about uh, spending, why should Americans be focused on these things? Why should we be focused on personnel policy and spending decisions from the Biden administration? Yeah, no. So personnel is policy. The people that execute the agenda are are the people who who draft the agenda. So it's important who comes to Washington. I mean, look, we saw this with the, with the Trump administration. The people that you appoint make a difference. Mark Meadows better than Reince Priebus. So you get a, you get a better quality decision making when you have better people in the administration. Same thing works with the Democrats. When they have really radical leftists, you're going to get really radical policies. That's what you're going to see with Kristen Clark, the the, the young lady I spoke about at uh, at DOJ. She's going to go in and she's got this anti-police attitude and she's going to go in and be the one investigating the police, whether it's in Louisville or Portland, um, Minneapolis. You're going to get a really negative outcome when you have somebody who is hostile to police investigating the police. So that's why it really matters. On the, on the pork map, on the spending stuff. People should be really paying attention because this is this is how we get thirty-five trillion dollars in debt. It's one wasteful spending bill after another, and you look back and you're like, "How this all happened? Well, it happened one bill at a time. It happened one earmark at a time. It happened one bad vote at a time." So you need to have a, a, a zero tolerance approach to these. You need to say no to everyone as they come through. I think that's great advice. Now. We are running a little bit low on time, so I wanted yeah. to give this last question to learn more about your uh, organization. How can our listeners learn more about you guys, and how can they get connected? Sure. So the, the most straightforward way is to go to one of our two websites, American-AF.org is the main site for the American Accountability Foundation. If you're really interested on the noms, go to BidenNoms.com. But that'll give you all the information on what we do. We're an investigative organization. We're digging into the details to help educate the American people. There's a lot of good information. There's also Pork Map. If you're really excited about earmarks, you want to learn about those little piggies, there's porkmap.com. But we put that information out there to educate the American people so that they know what's going on inside their government and the people that are, that are leading their government. Excellent. Thank you so much. So that was Tom Jones, co-founder of American Accountability Foundation, an educational and nonpartisan organization that conducts research into government oversight, as well as fact-checking to hold government accountable. Thanks again for joining us, Tom. Hey, thanks a lot. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and please encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.